I want to continue to push the boundaries of implant dentistry until I can help 100% of patients with 100% predictability and 100% success rate. Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. Hi again, everybody. Welcome back to episode number two of the Dental Implant Podcast with uh, me, Pab Kera. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I was reflecting back on the one that I did a few days ago. I think I rambled a little bit, but that's fine. That's not a problem at all. Um, I'll be learning as I'm going along. Uh, I'm excited to be doing this again. Um, uh, I'm always open to feedback. Uh, so if you've got any topics that you'd like to discuss, you know, just fire over a message to me and I'll see how I can help you out. And uh, yeah, we've got some uh, uh, great things to discuss still. So just before we move on, today's ep- on to today's episode, uh, just to let you know that I have confirmed with uh, Riazia that we are going to be doing the uh, the podcast on occlusion. We are just trying to sort out a date to record that and hopefully we'll be able to record that in approximately the next two or three weeks or so. That'll be edited, we'll get it up live and uh, and that'll be a really good one, I think, a really good one. We've got, we've already hashed out a few things that we want to discuss. Uh, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting discussion. So today's episode, uh, what should we talk about? Well, I had an idea. Why not talk about what my master's dissertation was on, which is hydrocarbon contamination of implant surfaces and biological aging, which sounds really quite weird and out there, but for those of you who know me, I like <laughs> I like the weirder and more out there stuff. I don't like doing the, the, the stuff that everybody else is doing. Um, so this is more aimed at people kind of like who've all, who are already placing implants, they're quite comfortable with it, but you'll still get quite a lot from it even if you're, uh, uh, you, you're, you're a beginner. It might just go over your head a little bit, but you can always come back and, and watch this again at a later date. Uh, and you can always um, uh, you know, shoot me over some questions. Uh, this will also go really well for, for those who are placing implants at, uh, at an extremely high level. If you're doing full arches, if you're doing zygomatics, if you're doing oncology, this is going to be some really interesting data for you. Um, so let's get started, I think. So how did I come across this? Um, I came, I can't even remember, I was doing some research for, for, for my master's and I came across uh, a paper dating back to about 2009. Um, and in this paper, they were talking about how once an implant has been manufactured and processed, it's sent out for sterilization, it's packaged and it comes back. Uh, if you look at the, the the shelf life of these implants, quite often these shelf lives are several years. So they're sat on the shelf for a long, long time. And this paper called Biological Aging of Implant Surfaces demonstrated that what happens is even inside the packaging, and there's n- there is no implant system, not a single one that is immune to this biological aging phenomenon, that what happens is the surface of the implant starts to interact with the air just within the storage vial, okay? Um, and what it does is it significantly reduces the bioreactivity of the implant surface. Let me say that again it significantly reduces the bioreactivity of the implant surface. What does this mean? It means that the implant struggles more to integrate to bone, 
Okay, and we're going to come on to how this impacts in a few minutes. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and you know, you may be sat there thinking, well, you know, it's you know, as long as I use the implant quickly, you know, what's what's the harm in that? Well, the reduction is first noticed within 24 hours. So in less than 24 hours, there is a measurable drop in bioreactivity of the implant surface. And this peaks after four weeks. So four weeks of storage means that your bioreactivity is cut in half. And these are the implants that we're putting into patients' mouths. Interesting, huh? Well, I find it interesting, but then I'm, I'm a geek. <laughs> you know, you, you guys know this already. But let's, let's take half a step back and think about that for a second. So we are getting good predictable results using these implants, which have just been stored for quite often more than four weeks. So you may be sat there thinking, Pav, you know, why should I, why should I take any notice if our success rate's already very high? Well, my personal philosophy is I want to continue to learn. I want to continue to push the boundaries of implant dentistry until I can help 100% of patients with 100% predictability and 100% success rate. I know that's very unlikely to happen, but that's my aspiration. Wouldn't it be great if we could if, if we could actually do that, okay? So we're not talking about the vast majority of implants which are fine. We're talking about those handful of failures which cause a problem in the practice. And we are also talking about medically compromised patients who we may be able to help better if we were to remove this hydrocarbon contamination from the surface of the implant just immediately before it goes into the mouth, okay? So um, a summary of that is implants manufactured, it's cleaned, it's sterilized, it's packaged. Within 24 hours, there's a marked uh, drop in bioreactivity of the implant surface, and that peaks after four weeks. Uh, and after four weeks, your bioreactivity is reduced um, uh, by, by 50%, okay? So what actually happens? So there are a couple of things which happens. Firstly, you get hydrocarbon contamination of the implant surface itself. And what that does is it reduces the amount of titanium oxide which is actually available to interact with the, with the actual bone itself. And the other thing that it does is it reduces um, the hydrophilicity of the implant surface itself, okay? Now, before anybody starts talking about SL active and things along those, those lines, I will come back to that in a minute, okay? Um, because yes, it does work, not as well as what I'm going to, and I've got some concerns about that, and I, I've asked some questions, and nobody's given me a satisfactory answer to those yet, okay? So, we have established that hydrocarbons contaminate the implant surface. And it's also been found that it happens on zirconia implants as well. So if you think about the whole process of implant manufacture is to make these implant surfaces, which are ready to react with blood proteins and induce a healing cascade, which will, uh, which will lead to predictable osseointegration, is that's true whether we're talking about titanium implants and it's also true whether we're talking about zirconia implants, okay? So what happens when we start to remove this hydrocarbon contamination off the implant surface? There are currently two ways of doing it. 
So there are uh, ultraviolet C chambers, which are commercially available from a couple of different suppliers. And uh, there is an implant, uh, which is the Tommen implant, which uses a very weak alkali solution. They use a naught point naught. I don't like the term naught. Let's do that correctly. 0.05 molar NaOH solution. So it's a very weak alkali that they dip the implant into. They agitate and leave it for 30 seconds before it goes into the mouth. And that will also reduce uh, or eliminate the hydrocarbon contamination off the surface. What that does is it does two things, is as well as opening up the surface area of the implant for integration, it improves the electrostatic charge on the implant surface itself. So what does that mean? You actually get faster and better blood protein chemo attraction to the surface of the implant, okay? And what that means is the patients heal better, they heal faster, significantly faster, not even just a little bit, not even a little bit. So Ogawa and his team back in 2012 demonstrated that if you use a UVC chamber on treated surface implants, which we know the average amount of bone to implant contact ratio is around 56%, that will jump up to 98% within four weeks. You get a 98% bone to implant contact in four weeks once you remove the hydrocarbons off the surface of these implants, okay? It doesn't just work on treated surface implants as well. It actually works on machine surface implants. So the amount of bone to implant contact ratio that you receive on machined surface implants jumps up to 79% which is huge. It is still above the 56% that we gun for when we, when we expect uh, uh, integration of implants. The, and this is one of the things that really, really got me thinking about this. Hmm, we can get predictable integration of machined implants. What's one of the biggest issues that we have out there at the moment? Periimplantitis, is this infection around the, 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 the implants. And that's, that infection skyrocketed once we started treating the surface of the implants. The issue that we used to have with machine surface implants is their unpredictability in their ability to integrate. Once they did integrate, they tended not to become infected so much. So hang on, we now have found a way to improve the integration of machine surface implants to go above what we currently accept for, for, for treated surface implants, can't this mean that we can predictably go back to machine surface implants? And that is one of the reasons why I really wanted to, to, to research this in, in, in more data. The papers also found that as well as increasing the bone to implant contact ratio, everything in relation to that healing cascade is upregulated. okay? So as well as having an increased bone to implant contact ratio, they were also finding that 
the bone in contact with the implant was significantly more mature. There were larger osteoblasts and osteocytes around the implant compared to the test models. So not only are we getting increased integration, we're getting healthier bone around it. We're getting stronger cells around it. Everything's upregulated. And this makes perfect sense because once you remove these hydrocarbons off the surface of the implants, then the electrostatic charge is improved. And one thing you will notice with these implants is once you've treated them and they go into blood, the blood zooms up the surface of these implants, you restore the hydrophilic nature of an implant. And that is incredibly powerful. Now, for a second, let's talk about preservation mediums, okay? You get a lot of implants nowadays which are stored uh, within, it's, it's effectively a salt solution to, to preserve the hydrophilic nature of the surface. Now, we know that grade five titanium and its alloys will corrode more than grade four titanium. We also know that those uh, corrosion products are linked to periimplantitis, okay? Now, what I will say is these preservation mediums, do they work? Absolutely they do, yes they do. They maintain the hydrophilic nature of the implant surface um, and you get better integration, okay? Now, there was a paper that I, uh, uh, that I critically appraised where we took preservation mediums versus uh, using ultraviolet uh, sea chambers and the preservation mediums, whilst they did work, were not as good as removing the hydrocarbons just before implant placement. The big question I have, and I've not been able to find an answer to this, if anybody does know, please, please send me the data because I want to look at it. I really genuinely want to look at it, okay? These implants, which are contained within a preservation medium, does that preservation medium increase corrosion of the implant surface? It's a sensible question to ask, right? If we know that corrosion products can lead to periimplantitis problems and we're sticking it in a salt solution, should we not then be asking, is that salt solution actually increasing the risk of corrosion? I don't know. I don't have the answers to this. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. For me personally, I'm sticking with uh, my UVC chamber at the moment because it's working incredibly well for me. So I am using an implant which has a, a machined neck towards the surface. And I have to say, I'm getting very stable bone levels uh, and very predictable integration. Now, why did I make that statement when I've just said that we can get predictable integration? Because the data that I've read with regards to removing hydrocarbon contamination of uh, surface, uh, off, off the surface of the implant, I haven't been able to find any long-term data on it. So I don't know whether that maintains its stability over uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. What I can tell you is in the short term, yes, absolutely it does. And then if we think about it, the vast majority of our issues happen within the short term. Now, going back to what we were saying a few moments ago about medically compromised patients, if you've got patients who are overweight, they've got cholesterol issues, they might, uh, they might be osteoporotic, they might have uh, uh, diabetes, although it's, it's relatively well controlled, they may be on antidepressants, they may be on meprazole, things along those lines, is should we not, not be doing everything that we possibly can to 
increase our chances of success with those patients. So it's not just the healthy patients, it's those who are medically compromised. And it's such a simple system. My cycle takes me 12 minutes. So quite often is if I know the diameter and length of the implant that I'm doing, I put the implant into the UVC chamber. It's got a 12 minute cycle on this particular one. And it's underway um, as, I start, as I start my procedure. And quite often by the time I'm finishing my osteotomy, there's just a few minutes left to go for, uh, for, for to take that implant out. So it doesn't actually add significant amount of time to my procedure okay minami kawa and colleagues in 2014 demonstrated a i'm reading off my off my paper um demonstrated a 100 to 120 percent increase in the force required in a biomechanical push-in test to induce failure okay so they took, and this was an animal paper, well-designed animal paper. They took these implants, they had the, they had the test samples, and they had the uh, uh, photo-functionalized um, uh, treated samples, okay? The amount of force it required for a push-in test on the ones which had the hydrocarbon removed <coughs> to induce failure was twice as much as what it was for the test sample. Twice as much. We're not talking a small increase of 5%, 10%, 15%. We're talking about doubling the biomechanical lock on these implants. Now, one thing that I did look for, and again, I couldn't find any data on this. This would be an interesting study to do, is let's say your standard implant, untreated, goes in place, 56% bone-to-implant contact ratio. Well, what's the other 44%? It's a mixture of all sorts of stuff, including soft tissue. And I had a question as to whether that soft tissue could potentially be, or whether whatever's in that other 44% could potentially be a source of uh, infection, which maybe it cause periimplantitis down the line. So it'd be interesting to see whether this increase in bone to implant contact ratio, A, maintains over a long time frame, uh, but B, whether it actually reduces the, the, the risk of periimplantitis long term as well. I don't know. I don't have these answers. These, these are just... You know, there's an old saying for every one question that you have answered, you've got three more that creep out of the woodwork. And this is exactly what's happening. SEM investigations um, demonstrated a considerably elevated degree of mineralization of bone in contact with the treated implant surfaces. Okay. The combination of increased bone to implant contact ratio, greater degree of mineralization of bone, and in shorter time frame may be considered on a simpler level as better, stronger, and faster integration. That's interesting. That's interesting. These, these papers are very, very interesting to read. Okay. And let's think of it from, from our point of view, you know, it's who doesn't want better, faster, simpler osseo integration, who doesn't want to have fewer failures. Um, and as I said, it's this is one of the reasons why I looked into this, um, because I just found it very, very interesting. Okay. Also, a study done by Yamada and colleagues, and they showed a reduction in biofilm formation on implant surfaces after they've been uh, uh, treated and had the hydrocarbons removed. That's interesting. Now you think about the full arch cases that we're doing. We think about, you know, it's, I mean, I don't do oncology, but you know, it's, it's the oncology cases, quite often these are very extreme cases. Could we not be uh, treating these to, to reduce risk of, uh, of issues around these? Again, when we're talking about zygomatic implants, these are, extremely resorbed maxillae that quite often these these patients they're at the end of the line 
you know, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the implants out there, they have a machined um, machined neck because there's so much of the implant that's not contained within the bone itself. Well, if we've got something that starts to become resistant to biofilm formation, and again, I don't know whether this is prolonged or even in the short term, but even if it's a short term, if you've got this re resistance to biofilm formation and increase in, in, in bone to implant contact ratio, you're just starting to reduce your risk factors significantly. So again, that's something else that I found um, uh, very, very, very interesting as well. So the main hypothesis with regards to how hydrocarbons interfere, uh, have touched on this previously, is this bioreactivity of the implant surface actually attracts the hydrocarbons. It binds to the surface, reduces the amount of surface area that's actually available to the body to interact, and it alters the electrostatic charge. So the blood proteins, they don't get that faster hematactic uh, attraction. They haven't done other studies where they are suggesting it may be that when we remove the hydrocarbons and put the implants in place, that it will actually improve bone grafting results as well. Now, if you think about that, if you've got a bigger pull from the, from the implant surface drawing blood towards the implant surface, how's that not going to help bone, uh, bone grafting? Uh, you know, there's there, there's a lot of there's a lot of data out there which which is which we're finding very very interesting. How much hydrocarbon contamination do you get on the surface? Uh, this is let's go back to let's go back to Mora and colleagues. I mean, all the way back in 2003, they demonstrated hydrocarbon contamination happens to all implants. Anywhere between 20 and 80 percent of the implant surface will become contaminated with hydrocarbons. That is an insane amount. That is just absolutely huge. Now, again, if it was one or 2%, you could argue, you know what, one or 2%, you know what, how much difference is that? Right? But if you're talking, let's average it out. Let's even say 50, 60%. If you've got 50% contamination of the implant surface and you're putting that into a patient's mouth, it's, you know, it's, why shouldn't we be removing these hydrocarbons? Why shouldn't we? And again, we are talking about uh, Lee and colleagues uh, in 2012. They demonstrated that the ability for fibronectin to attach to the implant surface reduces by 40% in 24 hours. That's the data I was looking for. So when I say that it's measurable after 24 hours, it's not a tiny measurement, that it's reduced by 40%, okay? And uh, um, it peaks to about 60% reduction in bioreactivity uh, after four weeks in storage. That's, it's just a huge amount. Uh, the, the, the same colleagues, Lee et al., they, you know, they showed a 50% drop in, uh, in, in bone to implant contact ratio, which we've, which we've, you know, we've, we've touched on that already. Is there any difference between using a weak alkali solution and using a UVC chamber? No, there isn't. No. There just isn't. They, they both work effectively. Um, they, they, they both uh, have the exact same identical uh, outcomes. All you're doing is you're removing the hydrocarbons from, from the implant surface. And then the, the, the implant does the rest. So that, that's why there's, there's no difference between the two. You're not altering the implant surface. You're not, you're not changing anything. It's, it's, it's just like a factory reset that we're doing. So on untreated samples, the water contact angle, which tells you how hydrophobic or hydrophilic uh, something is, on an untreated sample, it's, it was 85 degrees contact angle. 
once you've removed that hydrocarbon contamination, you get a zero degree contact angle. It's super hydrophilic. And this is what I'm saying is once you, once you remove the, the, the hydrocarbons off the surface of the implant, you dip it in, just test it, dip it in water. You'll see the water just zoom up the surface of the implants. Now, cell attachment is they demonstrated 80 to 100% more cells compared to untreated samples with an eightfold acceleration in cell attachment. That's huge. So you get twice as many cells and eight times faster. Okay. The cells themselves were significantly larger. They tested biomarkers for osteoblast function. Okay. So osteoblast function will basically tell you how much integration is actually happening. And treated samples were 80% higher. Eight zero, not one eight. 80, eight zero percent higher. Okay. And again, the pushing test is, you know, it, it was twice as strong to, 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 in resistance to failure. Okay. And that was a, a, and they got similar results on machine surface implants. There, this paper, I want to find you the data, uh, the data from this, because this was really interesting as well, because they used human blood to test. And what they found is, again, everything was upregulated. Uh, the amount of, uh, coverage of, of blood actually in contact with the uh, with the implant surface on an untreated sample the amount of uh, blood in contact was only 30 percent on a treated surface it was 90 percent they're just complete worlds apart they're just absolute worlds apart okay um the description of the blood clot under SEM investigation, the blood clot was just significantly more fibrous. It was, everything was up, uh, upregulated. Uh, the amount of surface that was covered by, uh, by, uh, by platelets. So on an untreated sample, 30%. On a treated sample, 66% platelets in contact with the, with the implant surface. Significantly denser fiber network around, uh, around the, 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 the implant as well. This is the interesting one as well. The thickness of the blood clot. So on an untreated sample, the blood clot thickness was 20 micrometers. On a treated sample, it was 35 micrometers. That's huge, okay? So, so far what we've discussed is all implants, whether titanium or zirconia, are susceptible to hydrocarbon contamination, and that reduces uh, the bioreactivity within 24 hours by 40%, and up to a maximum of, of around 60% after four weeks in storage, okay? We've also discussed that uh, preservation mediums do work, but I've got reservations because I don't know whether it increases the amount of corrosion from the surface of the implant, and it's still not as good as removing the hydrocarbons just before the uh, uh, just before we're, we're placing it into the mouth. We've discussed that you get a, a big increase in a bone to implant contact ratio, and that's from uh, treated surface implants and machine surface implants. We've also talked about the the bone is more mature, the blood clot's more mature. Uh, there's more cells, stronger cells. The, the body wants to heal eight times faster around these implants. Everything is up up regulated to a very very significant.
very, very significant uh, extent, okay? Now, uh, there was another study, I'll just go through it very briefly, because some of you may be placing uh, zirconia implants, uh, but I know that most people don't. It does not change the crystalline structure of the, of the surface of the zirconia implants. So it doesn't, it doesn't damage zirconia by using either an alkali solution or by using um, UVC uh, sterilization of, of the surface. Another thing that started to play on my mind well, as I was going through this, and again, this is this is something I, I don't have the data for, but this would be a great research project for, uh, uh, for, for, for somebody who's doing a master's or a PhD or something along those lines, is the prosthetics that we get back from the lab, and I will be going into more podcasts with regards to this. The prosthetics that we get back from the lab are filthy. They're really dirty, okay? But let's say that they're cleaned and we use the correct protocols and we get them as pristine as what we possibly can. Does hydrocarbon contamination happen on the surface of these? I can't see any reason why it wouldn't. What impact does that have on the soft tissue? Now, you heard me earlier turn around and say that once you remove the hydrocarbons off the surface of the implant, it's actually resistant to biofilm adhesion to the surface. So if we got absolutely pristine prosthetics, remove the hydrocarbons from the surface, should we then be looking to see whether we can get predictable muco integration as well as predictable uh, osseous integration? I don't know. You know, these these are these are things that we that 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 we need to look into in more detail. Now, what I was discussing with regards to uh, the the contamination of implant prosthetics, it was. Put, uh, I I did a uh, I was talking at the ADI uh, members conference a, f a couple of years ago on this topic, and uh, it was Ray McNamara who was who was on after me talking about this. Absolutely fascinating stuff to the point where you're going, oh my god, I just need to completely alter the uh, the protocols that I'm using before before my implant prosthetics go into place, and we will be discussing that at a at a later date for you. Okay, all right. So you've got different authors, you know, using unbiased techniques, coming to the same conclusion. This is, it's not the same authors time and time again. Um, most of these are very good studies. Um, you know, a lot of them have been done uh, 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 on animals. So again, another good study would be, but I, I, is, is to remove the hydrocarbons and place them in somebody's jaw. And again, split mouth would be, would, would be great on this. And take ISQ readings of treated versus untreated um, uh, uh, implants, you know, over every week over a twelve-week period. You know, see what happens in human study. So again, it would be it would be very very interesting uh, to see that type of stuff. Okay. So I think the 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 last bits of it are just repetitive. Yes, yeah. So again, it's ju it's just corroborating the. Uh, the, the the data that we've that 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 we've already been to, uh, they're demonstrating that alkali solutions and um, uh, and uh, UVC chambers are just as good as each other. Um, uh, yet here's the results of, of, of this paper: yeah. effects on healing on cells. There's a greater maturity of cells by at least seventy five percent, and accelerated healing by at least eighty five percent. That's huge. Uh, there's a vast increase in cell maturity and density, all biomarkers indicating improved healing times, and uh, there's an increased blood uh, uh, blood clot thickness. 
Um, there's a vast increase in cell maturity and all biological markers of the osseous matrix itself. Um, there's a medium-term improvement in healing uh, and, and a vast improvement in, in, in reverse talk tests. They're all coming out with the same data. They're all saying that. And so it, 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 does, it, it does go to, we can argue the point that, you know, this is a real phenomenon. Biological aging is absolutely a real phenomenon. It happens on the surface of all implants. And we need to be taking it seriously because it is something that we can easily remove and it's only going to improve outcomes for our patients. And if we're not improving outcomes for our patients, why are we doing this type of work? You know, so whether you are, um, as I said towards the beginning, if you're a beginner, this will, you know, you'll come back to this later and you'll find it interesting. Uh, you may even find it interesting now, but certainly for, 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 for colleagues who, who, who are placing a, a fair few implants and they're doing a little bit more complex work. And, uh, personally, I think the more complex work that you're doing, the more interesting you're going to find the data, right? Right? So, if, you know, if you're doing four hours and all of a sudden I'm turning around and saying to you, you know what? You can increase the speed of healing by a factor of eight. You know, you can increase the blood clots, the, the blood clot thickness. You can increase the bone maturity. You can increase the bone to implant contact ratio. You can get um, machine surfaces to in, in, integrate predictably. That's all fantastic data. You know, that's 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 something that uh, that and that is why I really enjoyed doing 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 this dissertation. Um, I hope that you've found today's episode uh, interesting. I think I've been a little bit more on track this time than what I was last time around. I think I've stuttered less, but as I said before, I do tend to stutter. I'm sorry about that. It's just I have one idea pop in my head, and before it's out of here, the next one's jumping in already. Um, but I hope I've still managed to, 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 to get my point across to you. Um, it means a lot that you've decided to uh, chime in and uh, either listen to me drone on or if you're watching me on YouTube, stare at my face for the best half an hour. Uh, you know, it really does mean a lot. And thank you so much. Uh, I'm doing this because I'm passionate about the work that I do. I want to share some of my uh, uh, some of my knowledge and I want to learn from you guys as well. Um, so I'm, I'm constantly trying to improve my game. And that, that's 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 why I'm here, basically. That's why I'm here. So uh, please, you know, leave a like, please share, please tell other colleagues who may be interested in this type of stuff. If you've got any particular uh, topics that you would like for me to cover, please do let me know. Uh, we've already got one uh, planned that I will be recording with Riaz Yar, as I've mentioned on a number of occasions with regards to occlusion in, relating to, in relation to implants. And um, I think I will also do so, uh, some aimed towards uh, people who kind of like considering getting into implants or earlier on in, in their career. Um, and that will, uh, and I'm going to aim to get uh, Fran Ahmed on that uh, because he's, he's a great believer in mentoring and he's a superb surgeon. And so we're going to sit down uh, with him and discuss with him, look, this, this is how I started. These are the issues that I had. These are the mistakes that I made. Uh, you know, these are my thoughts on mentoring. What are your thoughts on mentoring? And, you know, hash out kind of like, the stages that had occurred for me to get to where I am. And hopefully he will do the same to say that, well, actually, you know what? He found that he went through his career progression in implants so that you get some sort of indication that when you're getting into this field, it's not, a, oh, you go on one course, you, you you learn everything, that it is a progression. And um, uh, yeah, we are, we are here to 
to, you know, we're, we're always here to, 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 to support colleagues, um, you know, because we're, we're all we're all doing this to, 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 to give our patients better lives. So thank you very much for tuning in. I will let you get on with the rest of your day. My dog absolutely wants my attention. I got to go. Bye.